Uh, I know that uh, Kyle announced a couple weeks ago that we were going to have a guest speaker this morning, and um, Fred is not a guest, just so that we're all aware of that. Uh, actually, uh, you know, uh, first of all, uh, Kyle and Tammy are at Salem in, in Beaver Falls. He's preaching there this morning, so I want to remember him in prayer and for that church. Um, also, uh, we were, our plan was to have Mike Bartholomew here. And uh, many of you probably know, but Mike was in a pretty severe car accident uh, earlier this week, and he is okay, but he has some injuries that uh, make it difficult for him to, to move around and whatnot. So, um, so anyways, Mike still wanted, when we heard that happen, I don't remember if it was Monday or Tuesday, but Kyle got a hold of Fred and said, Fred, would you mind being our backup today in case Mike isn't able to come? And even then, Mike thought maybe he would be able to come, but on Thursday, I think, Fred got the final call that that he'd be preaching today. And, and I say all that to just say this, that... Scare you. No, no. <laughs> Fred is our backup plan, but let me tell you, this is no surprise to God. And God knew that Fred would be preaching this morning, and so I trust that the things that are on Fred's heart aren't things that he just started on Thursday when Fred found out. Now, maybe the, maybe the planning and the structure and all that, that started on Thursday, but I'm going to say that I believe that what Fred has to share for us has been in, has been ongoing for a long time. So uh, I just want to pray for Fred, and I uh, just want to remind you that if you're here today, if you're listening online, that that this isn't an accident and it's not just a, a, a standby thing. This was intentional, and uh, you're here and you're listening for a reason. And so I'm just going to pray for Fred and, and offer the service to you, Father. We just, Lord, uh, first of all, I lift up Kyle and Tammy and uh, and uh, Kyle, especially as he's preaching this morning, Lord, at Salem, Father, just that you would. Uh, give him a boldness to preach what you have for him and for that for that church today. Lord, we uh, lift up our service to you today. Father, I pray for Fred. Lord, I'm, I'm thankful, Father, that he is a willing vessel, Lord, to get a call a few days before he needs to preach and, and say, yes, I'll do that. And so I'm especially thankful for that, Lord. And uh, Lord, I just uh, I lift up Fred to you, Father. I trust that you have uh, that you have a message for him that is for us, for this church today and so father we just uh we just uh offer this service to you father and just pray boldness for fred and father just that uh, that you would speak through him this morning lord we ask this in your name amen good morning we uh we had an argument with my computer last night when i was trying to put some slides together and the computer didn't cooperate, so by 10 o'clock I said, to heck with it. So to overcompensate this morning, I brought two Bibles and my notes. <laughs> so we're in good stead. But I want to welcome everybody this morning. Thank you to the elders for trusting me to come step in the pulpit this morning. This morning's message is going to come out of Psalm 139. And since we don't have slides, I would suggest that you open your Bibles. The title of my message this morning is, Does God Need a Warrant? That's what my wife said. That's a strange title. Now, a little background. We got rid of our TV a couple of decades ago. And so for our nightly entertainment, we invest in CDs and we watch old TV programs. And Cindy's favorites are Law and Order and things like that. And they're always talking about, if you want to get to the truth, you go get a warrant. 
a search warrant so that you can come up with the true facts. And so my question this morning is, does God need a warrant? And as we begin this morning, there's a couple of things I want to make clear. When you study scripture, you need a starting place. And so my starting place for this message this morning has three points. Number one is that the message coming from the Bible is the word of God. And it's truth. And it's to be understood as truth, not as the world today understands truth, but as God's truth is truth. And the second one is this psalmist writes from life experiences. And each of us here this morning hearing my voice understands that knowingly or unknowingly, we have had similar circumstances. And my third point is that these experiences that have tempered the writer's interactions with God, and when one meets with God face to face, you don't walk away from that encounter the same as when you met him. That's a given. So what I'd like to do this morning is I'm going to read out of the message to start. And I'm going to read it all the way through because it's, it's a little longer than even if I hadn't argued with my computer, I can't type that long without my fingers cramping up. So I'm just going to read this through and then we'll come back and look at it because basically this psalm is a poem set in several sections and it ends with a prayer. And so keeping that in mind as I read, God, investigate my life and get all the facts firsthand. I'm an open book to you. Even from a distance, you know what I'm thinking. You know when I leave and you know when I get up. I'm never out of your sight. You know everything I'm going to say before I even start the first sentence. I look behind me and you're there. And then I go ahead and you're there too. Your reassuring presence coming and going. This is so much. It's too wonderful. I can't take it in. Is there any place that I could go and be a void of your spirit? To be out of your sight? If I climb to the sky, you're there. If I go underground, you're there. If I flew on the morning's wings to the far western horizon, you'll find me within a minute. You're already there. Then I said to myself, oh, he even sees me in the dark. At night, I'm immersed, I'm immersed in light. It's a fact, darkness isn't dark to you. Night and day, darkness and light, they're all the same to you. Oh yes, you shape me first and then out you, then out. You form me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God, you're breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. You know me inside and out. You know my every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made, bit by bit. How I was sculptured from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watch me grow from conception to birth. 
All the stages of my life are spread out before you. The days of my life all prepared before I even lived one. Your thoughts, how rare, how beautiful. God, I'll never comprehend them. I couldn't even begin to count them any more than I could count the sand at the sea. Oh, let me rise in the morning and live always with you. And please, God, do away with wickedness for good. And you murderers, out of here! All the men and women who belittle you, God, infuriate with cheap God imitations. See how I hate those who hate you, God? See how I loathe all those godless arrogant arrogance? I hate it with pure, unadulterated hatred. Your enemies are my enemies. Investigate my life, God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine and test me. Get a picture of what I'm about. See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong. Then guide me on the road to eternal life. This psalm can be approached from two different directions. Now some will find comfort in the fact that God is always with them. You can't go any place according to the psalmist but what God is already there. He came before you and he'll leave after you. But the second approach is one of fear. Someone who doesn't recognize God. Someone who doesn't want God by their side every second of every day. Lives in fear of what the knowledge the Lord has of them. Now I did find an interesting note in one of the commentaries as I was doing preparation that indicated that David may not be the author of this psalm. But with my untrained eye, I see a person in this psalm who reflects back on their beginnings and their life experiences. I see a person who has climbed to great heights and looked back at the places where they were less than successful with God. Whether David wrote it or not, it doesn't matter. It represents all of our lives this morning. As we look back, we find those places in our life we were less than faithful to God. The writer of the psalm starts off with giving permission to search and to scrutinize this individual's soul. They have already been searched, whether they gave permission or not, whether they went and got a warrant so somebody could search. God had searched already, and the truth was evident. So we need to be careful about the meditations of our hearts, the words of our mouth. We need to be careful what we say and what we think. We need to be like Isaiah who proclaimed, Woe to me, for I am a ruined man, a man of unclean lips who lives among unclean peoples. With what's going on in our world today, there's an awful lot of evident uncleanliness. We need to be careful where we go and the intent with which we go. 
For not only are our actions visible to God, but so are our thoughts and our intentions and our motives, which we express with our words. As our creator, God has an intuitive authority to search us and to know us. Does the pot and clay tell the potter what he can do? Yet I personally find comfort in the fact that God has knowledge of everything that I do. I'm not always proud of it, but I know that when I confess it, he's already known it, and it's just a case of wiping the slate clean. We, our humanness people out there who deny God, they can't comprehend that a spirit could be everywhere at the same time. They can't comprehend the thought that they'd never be out of someone's sight. That actually, actually, that thought is getting easier and easier to comprehend because as we travel around our world, there are more and more cameras watching our every move. <laughs> I remember a, a comedian telling a joke that they were so poor that for a family portrait, they put everybody in the front seat of the car and went and ran a red light. And if Johnny blinked, they turned around two blocks later and came back. But that's an aside, sorry. What's that? It's selfies. But we are bound by walls of physical properties. We are governed by laws such as gravity and the matter of articles of substance. Therefore, an entity not governed by natural laws stretches our sense of reason, but it doesn't make it any less effective. How many of us move through our days with the idea that what we're doing will be seen by God? Do we consciously think about that, that God sees what I'm doing right now? It makes a big difference in our actions. It makes a big difference in our thought processes and our motives. <laughs> I struggle at times with, to hold my patience when preparing to go someplace, waiting for, for my wife to think about all the things that she might need the right shoes that she should wear, the right jacket that she wants to put on. Yet, God's already gone there. God already knows what shoes she's gonna wear. She just has to make up her own mind. But the problem is not, is not the shoes. The problem in that is my impatience. I need to recognize the fact that God already knows what shoes she's gonna wear and she'll make up her mind in good time. And whether we're late or not doesn't really matter because when we get there, God's already there. He went with us, before us. And as the psalmist says, you know, if I go to the sky, you're already there. If I go to the depths of a cave, you're already there. And I can, I can assure you from personal experience that that's true. Because in my younger days, I had a chance to personally test his presence at extreme heights. 
I had the opportunity to try skydiving. And I'll tell you, about 10 seconds before I stepped out of the plane, God and I had a very serious conversation. He was there. It was beautiful, though, when you, could, when you stepped out into free air and you looked off and Cape Canaveral was over here and the Gulf of Mexico was over here. And it's very beautiful. God's creation. And I just told him that I wanted to continue to live in it. But as far as going into the depths of a cave, we also experienced that. For many years, Cindy and I had the privilege of leading groups from Beaver Camp, and the groups that we led quite often were doing rock climbing. And on a couple of occasions, we repelled down into caves. And we'd get into the caves, and the kids would all shut their flashlights off, and we'd sit there in dead silence. And all of a sudden, this voice in the darkness would start singing Amazing Grace. And you knew God was there. Because even in the darkness, his light shines. There was no getting away from it. My next question is, does God make mistakes? Verse 13, you were created, you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. How can people say that life is a mistake? How can people say that God has made a mistake? Quite frankly, God didn't make any mistakes. Now, there may have been a couple of mistakes leading up to the conception, but the, pro the product of that conception is no mistake. Anyone who has taken the time to think about and look at how we are made, how we function, can't walk away with anything but wonder and admiration for the human body. And a lot of times those so-called mistakes are beautiful people who do great things as they grow up. But this is where we come in. This is where we have responsibilities as parents, church community, God may shape the physical body, but he gives us the privilege of shaping the mind, of forming their attitudes, of teaching them what love and caring really is. And that's a very gracious responsibility, not to be taken lightly. It warms my heart when parents will bring a child and say that they're going to raise the child in the ways of the Lord, but then the pastor says for the congregation to stand up because you're committed to that as well. And I think at times we take that too lightly. We need to take that more serious because if we don't, 
the parents are doing the best they can, but when they go out into the world, as they get older, there's other influences that the parents can't address. And we need to pick up the slack. We need to be responsible. So how well are we doing with that responsibility? A question that each of us needs to look into for ourselves. For medicine makes great leaps of progress in keeping babies alive, yet we allow and encourage others to surrender the unborn life to extinction. Never to see the potential in that life. Never to have the chance to interact and love them. And who failed these children? Did the parents? Did we, by not showing support in those situations? Did the legal system for not protecting those without a voice? But surely it was not God. For he started to write in his book the days allotted for them when all at once he was forced to stop. All at once the knitting process ceased. And I believe at that point if God has a face that tears begin to slide down each time the potential he had planned for a child needs to be reassigned to a child and that one will never see the light of day. It's a sad commentary on our social structure today. Do we comprehend the precious thoughts of God? Do we even try to comprehend the precious thoughts of God? Now, scripture proclaims that his thoughts are higher than ours and his ways are higher than ours but it doesn't preclude us from trying. And through the study of his word, we begin to grasp and comprehend his thoughts. He's been gracious and he's laid them out there for us. But we need to take them in. We need to study them. We need to understand them. Do we even dwell in a place where God could speak to us? Do we find a place where we could be quiet and hear the voice of God? Or do we turn the radio up? Do we abhor silence? Are we just fearful what we're going to hear when he does speak? If that's the case, something needs to change. How many times have I thought if only God would remove all the bad influences from my life, I'd be a better person? I don't think so. Only to realize that I have seen the enemy and the enemy is me. I believe that was a cartoon at one point, but it has, has always stuck with me because when I look closely at myself, I really don't like what I see at times. And when he's been gracious enough to show me, that's the time that we need to change and take heed of that. We're so quick to look at others and point out they need to change. 
yet I fail in my life to make those changes. And quite often what I see obnoxious, if you will, in others is the very thing within myself that needs to change. Do we really hate those who hate you? Do we abhor those who rise up against you? Just look at what's going on in the East, Middle East. How do we view that? How do we deal with that? Do we have hatred for them? The kind of hatred that's being spoken of here is not a violent hatred. It's not a hatred of revenge. It's a hatred of reaching out, not becoming absorbed with what they have or what they preach, but reaching out to show them a better way. It's a hatred of not wanting to get mixed up in it. There are things that go on in this country as well that we would be, would best be left alone. And as we come down to the last few verses, we hear a prayer. The psalmist is crying out, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. As far as this psalmist is concerned, God doesn't need a warrant. He's opened himself up. He's asked God to come in and search him. He's asked God to purify him. He's asked God to remove any offensive way. Do we open ourselves up to God in that fashion? Do we open ourselves up and say, Lord, I am rotten inside. Come in and help me weed out. Do we open up the house, but yet we keep one room closed with all the dirt in it? He doesn't want to clean all but one room. He wants a clean house. We need to throw the doors wide open. Let the wind blow through and the dust come out. We need to purify our house. So as I close this morning, I'd like to take those last couple of verses and I'd like to personalize them. I'd like the congregation to stand with me this morning and ask God to search their heart. And where it says me, mean me, mean you. Search us, O oh God, know our hearts. Test us and know our anxious thoughts. Test us and see if there's any offensive way in us. And if you find it, Lord, Help us to remove ourselves from it. 
clean our house, clean our attic, and lead us in the way of everlasting. Lead us in the way of salvation. And may we bring glory to your name. Amen. You're up, Jay.